you to turn your attention, we're going to be starting a little mini-series here, The Real Jesus, today part one. If you turn to Colossians chapter one, we'll pick up in verse 13. And you, you see, when we talk about Jesus Christ being Lord, and I want you to look at something very carefully, in these first few verses that we've already covered, you, you, see, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, you see Jesus Christ, you see Christ you see all kinds of personal pronouns throughout the first chapter. Actually, 26 times you're going to see he, him, his, himself. You're going to see that there is a real Jesus. And it is that real Jesus that we really want to, to bring to the forefront as we study these, these next five verses or so. And will the real Jesus please stand up? You see, the world has all kinds of understanding about who Jesus is. If you ask people who Jesus is, you'll get answers like, well, he's a myth. Uh, you'll get he's a historical figure. You'll get he's a prophet. You'll get he's a figment of Christians' imaginations. You, you'll get that he is, as Thomas declared, thou art the Christ. Peter declaring you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You'll get some people will give the correct answer, but most people will not give the correct answer. And in fact, even people who claim to know Jesus oftentimes do not have the right answer. And so it's important that we as the church, if we as the church cannot articulate who Jesus is when someone asks us, there is a problem, Amen. And so we're going to look at who the real Jesus is as we pick up in verse 13 to verse 15 this morning in our first part of our The Real Jesus series. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have again drawn uh, our time together today for a singular purpose. We've come to hear your word and to be built up and strengthened in our faith. And so we pray that as we study uh, this that you authored by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, your word. Lord, would you help us to understand and know the real Jesus. We bless you. We ask that you be present in our hearts and our minds. Uh, instruct us by the Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 13. And it says there, he, one of those personal pronouns defining who we've already talked about, who is the Christ, you can see him very clearly in the first several verses, the first five. The, the real biblical Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You see, God's express purpose for us is that Jesus Christ came into the world that the world through him might be saved. Amen? That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to, to bring about social change. Jesus did not come to bring about governmental change. Jesus came to save sinners. The Apostle Paul said of himself, of whom I am chief. Jesus came to save, to seek and save that which is lost, to deliver us out of the power of darkness and will convey us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have, notice that word, redemption. These verses are packed full of who Jesus is, the real Jesus. Redemption, purchase price paid. 
What was the price? Through His blood, you're told. The forgiveness of sin. Oh, hallelujah and glory. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? And so when we think of these things as we're having this Jesus described to us, it's no mistake of who the real Jesus is. And then he goes, if that were not enough, if you just took verse 13 and 14, power of darkness has been lifted, conveyed into the kingdom that is the kingdom of the Son, the heavenly kingdom. We've been redeemed, purchased by His blood. We have forget. That's enough, amen? When I think of just, that's, that's good. I'm good to go. He doesn't stop there. And here's the reason why. Remember that there is a heresy in Colossae, and that heresy is that people were trying to add something to Jesus, make special knowledge necessary to know Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, let me tell you who Jesus is. These are also some of the most fought over verses in all of the New Testament. And without exception, every major cult misinterprets these verses. And we'll look at those things this morning. He is the image of the invisible God. And He's also the firstborn over all of creation. Oh, hallelujah for our Jesus. And so the apostle begins to unveil these things. You see, because just like I am Jeffrey Scott Gill, and if you do your 23andMe genetic testing, you're going to find out that you're the only you. You have a social security number, which people try and steal. That's because that's assigned to just you, right? There's a, there's a you. Now, there can be a fake you. I had an interesting thing happen to me. I got a tax bill about 10 years ago from a Jeffrey Scott Gill who lived in Alameda County. It seems as though he forgot to pay the taxes on his not one, but two airplanes. And so they sent me the bill, and I said, well, I'm not him. And then I got a thing from a, the Alameda County attorneys. I well, you're him. You're Jeffrey Scott Gill. And I said, no, I'm not that Jeffrey Scott Gill. And then I sent in my information, my tax information about who I was with my Social Security number, and it was only one number off. This dude had stolen my identity, but he'd misused my social security number by one number. And so when they got who I was, that one silly number made the difference between me and him. Now, I did want his planes, but it's kind of almost a trade. Thought me, I sell those. But you see, you are you. In a much more infinitely great way, there is a real Jesus. And that real Jesus is one of one. And that is the picture that is beginning to be painted for us here in these first three verses that we'll cover. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Think about that for a second. When you think about who Jesus is to you, He is taking you from lies to truth. Amen? You're going from over here and believing all that the world has to offer to over here all that God has to offer. That's out of that darkness and into the light. You're going from eternal death to eternal life. You're, you're going from truly from walking in darkness, fulfilling the lust of your own flesh, to walking in the Spirit. 
You see, there's a very specific Jesus that we worship. We're going from slavery to sin to freedom from sin. Amen? We're going to from guilt. Anybody in here ever walk in guilt in your life without Jesus? Oh, thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have from the guilt and the weight of our sin to forgiveness in Christ. From the power of Satan over which you had no power previously. That's why it should not shock you that people who don't know Jesus live lives of sin. You did the same thing and so did I. You see, we've been conveyed from the power of Satan to the power of God. And these scriptures, Acts 26, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 2, 1 John 1, when you look at them, they send you this incredible picture that you've been delivered from light or from darkness into light and the power of Satan to the power of God. Just, just read them, jot them down and meditate on them, who you now are because you have believed on the one name, the only name that can save, the name of Jesus. But don't mistake who Jesus is. You see, He is our beloved King, and and in that sense we have been rescued. You see, we now have a new residence, and that residence is in the kingdom of God. We no longer walked after the dictates of our flesh. And, And so Paul looks back, and as he speaks these things, he's reminding us, he gives us really a picture that comes from the Old Testament. Because the children of Israel were delivered literally from death to life when they were brought out of Egypt. Amen? And do you remember how that happened? The blood of an innocent lamb was spread on the doorpost to their home and on the lentils of their home. It, it was the sign of the cross of Christ. It was there that blood covered their sin. They weren't sinless. It was also the reason that they baked the unleavened bread. That's why it was not. They didn't have time. You're either in or out. You need to make a choice in whom you're going to believe. And so it pictured there the wonderful work that God did for the Hebrew peoples. He brought them out of bondage and out of slavery. Hosea quotes really that picture. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, we've been called into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus reminds us as as he spoke to the disciples and and he spoke to Peter. He said specifically, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You know, who am I? He says, look, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church and I'll give you the keys. Who has the keys? Jesus has the keys. That's the reason he can give them away. And so because of that, because we are new creations in Christ Jesus, you can see this incredible scarlet thread of redemption that runs really all the way from the book of Genesis. But it begins, if you want to look at it in, in totality, where the children are delivered. They're in Exodus 12. They're, they're brought out. And it required the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. You see, those firstborn children were either placed under the blood or they were not under the blood. That's it. And so God has been busy redeeming mankind since the beginning. He redeemed, in that sense, Adam. What was Adam's problem? Adam, like all of us, has sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what he did. He made a dumb choice. There's an opportunity. He lives in this wonderful, idyllic environment. His wife Eve eats of the tree. And and she says, look, honey, this stuff's pretty awesome. Why don't you chow down on it too? And he does. And he owns his own sin. And God says, look, who told you you were naked? He says, well, you know, we thought you were mad with us, God. And so what was God's response? God himself kills an innocent animal and covers them with that covering. That's redemption. God's been busy redeeming us since the beginning, showing us that path of life. The word redemption simply means to buy back, to take that which is in captivity, pay a ransom for it, and bring it out free. Hallelujah. Amen? Because, see, I was a slave to sin. And then I believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sin was paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because my sin has now been paid for, I'm free. I have had that price that was on my head paid in full. Lock, stock, barrel, every last one of them. Hallelujah. And glory. We are redeemed. You you see, when you look at these verses, it's amazing what we have received because of the real Jesus. By the blood of Jesus Christ, these things happen. Not by church. You notice it doesn't say by church. Not by denomination. It doesn't say by knowledge or understanding. It doesn't say by works. It says by the sinless blood of the Lamb of God, you've been bought back. People mess this up. And they make it about one brand of Christianity versus another brand of Christianity. Or they make it about their church versus another church. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's one reason that you're going to heaven. That's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That is how you have forgiveness. His innocent blood for your guilty body, soul, Mind, you are guilty as sin. Amen? We use that term. I'm guilty as sin. Yep. There's only one way to be made unguilty. That's to be declared righteous in Christ by the blood of the Lamb. Five beautiful things that comes to you because you're redeemed. You're now qualified to share in the inheritance of heaven with Christ. Anybody excited about that idea? Hallelujah. Amen? You're going to share in the inheritance of Christ. You know, it's not like you're going to get your your parents' inheritance. Some of us get some, some of us get none, amen, when it comes down to earthly inheritance. But in Christ, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to be rescued from Satan's dominion. Anybody struggle with anything ever in your whole life? If your hand's not up, you're lying, so you're struggling with lying. I mean, come on. Get with it. Yeah, we're, we're sinful people. David went so far as to say, in sin I was conceived, in sin I was born. That's us. We need to be delivered from that dominion of darkness. And God then brings us in as His own kids in His kingdom of light. Not only that, 
That kingdom is eternal. It's an eternal kingdom that you're brought into. You see, we live in a temporal world, but we are family members of an eternal kingdom. Not only that, you didn't purchase it yourself by works. By the works of the flesh is no one justified, Paul would write to the Roman Christians. Amen? So what happens is Jesus pays the price for you. That's why it's so important you get the real Jesus. If you don't get the real Jesus, you're believing in the wrong guy. So that freedom was purchased for you. You were not so good. You did not so understand it. You didn't come to the place of intellectual enlightenment. You didn't join a church. You didn't become part of a Christian club. It was none of that that saved you. It's none of that that bought it back. Jesus Christ paid your way fully. Hallelujah. You've got to have the right Jesus. There is no other Jesus. There's the one Jesus. Are you thanking God? It should be. You see here in the book of Colossians, remember that there's a whole bunch of things that he's addressing that were heresies within the church. They talked about all matter being evil. They, they talked about the image of God being able to be adjusted to mankind's thoughts about who God is. They kind of made their own Jesus. Sound like any world that you're in right now, currently, today? Everybody makes up their own Jesus. Many people proclaim a Christ that is no longer the creator of the universe. We're going to get to that next week. You see, the same Jesus that paid the price for your sin also created you and the entire universe. And people are wondering, well, you know, I don't think that's how it happened. Well, then you have the wrong Jesus because the Bible says he's the creator. So the same Bible that says you're saved by grace and through faith says Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. So if you don't believe in a creator, you believe in evolution, and that evolution explains everything, which, by the way, takes way more faith. We'll get to this next week. You see, if you don't believe that our declaration of independence is factually accurate, that all men are endowed by their creator... Those things come from God. That's why we can be free, because He wants us to be free. If you've got a different Jesus, you've got an issue. Because the real Jesus created all of us in all of our beautiful diversity, in all of the wonder that is humankind, and the world that we live in is His. It's not ours. You see, Jesus is really God. Notice what is said next. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all of creation. These next five verses are the most contested and the most important verses in the New Testament to establish the deity of Jesus Christ. There are none that are better. Jesus not only is equal to God, just as Philippians chapter 2 we saw, He is actually God. He's not one of many, He is the only. You see, He's the image, and that word image is a very specific word. 
It means the exact expressible entirety of the thing seen. It's the Greek word icon. Not like the icons of the Orthodox or the Catholic Church, but an exact image that is so real that it is the real thing. God's spirit, he's always in that sense been spirit and always will be spirit, just as 1 Timothy 6 reminds us. But when you saw Jesus, Jesus Christ is God incarnate in human flesh. He was no less than God. You see, some people make Jesus less than God. Jesus is God, period. He expresses the divine glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells you that. He's not a copy. He is the full embodiment. You, you see, sometimes we make him less than God. Well, he's, you know, he's kind of good. And here's why I say this, and this is why it's so important. Every major world religion on the planet acknowledges something about Jesus. But where they all fail 100% and all cults completely aberrationally defy is that Jesus Christ is fully God. And if He's not God, He's not perfect. And if He's not perfect, then your sins are not covered. And you haven't had your price paid. Because it had to be sinlessness that died for sinfulness. He couldn't be any less than God. And so your Bible declares that He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all of creation. And what is intended there? It's actually very, very easy to see. As you think on these things, and I, and I will use by way of example... Because you, you, see, you see this on television fairly regularly. You may have caught the, the interview that Marie Osmond did. Now, for those of you that don't know, the whole Osmond family are Mormons. And she was being interviewed on 2020, and she was asked the question, well, you know, are Mormons Christians? And she got the smuggest look on her face and said, of course we're Christians. Now, let me correct her theology because she does not believe that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son as a Mormon. The official teachings of the Mormon church flatly deny that truth. Let me help you with this, just to give you a sense of why this is important. And I'll tell you right now that nailing down official Mormon doctrine is kind of like nailing jello to the wall. Because the current living prophet has the capacity to change anything that was previously said in any of the four standard works. So the Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon, and even the King James Bible. So if the current living prophet says, well, it didn't quite mean that, then at that point, that is the new word of God. So you can see how that might be a tad problematic. Mormon apostle Bruce McConk states this in the book Mormon Doctrine. And he's speaking specifically of the role of the living prophet. The living prophet is more vital to us than the standard works. So the moment he says that, it becomes truth. 
the prophet does not have to say, thus says the Lord, to give unto us Scripture. That's the official doctrine of the church. That whatever the current living apostle says can alter what Scripture already declares. Do you follow me? He makes a startling admission, goes further on in that same book, Mormon Doctrine. I do not know what all the providence of the Lord are, but I do know that He permits false doctrine to be taught in and out of the church. And if we believe false doctrine, we will be condemned. And if that belief is on the basic fundamental things, it will lead us astray and we will lose our souls. It clearly means that people who teach false doctrine in fundamental basic things will lose their souls. The nature and kind of God is one of these fundamentals. And I repeat, Brigham Young erred in some of his statements on the nature and kind of being that God is and the position of Adam in the plan of salvation. So he flatly says that Joseph Smith was dead wrong. You see, the reason these things are important is you begin to now make Jesus out to be whoever you want him to be, not who he declares. So what does the Doctrine and Covenants actually say? It says, Christ, the firstborn, was the mightiest of all of the spirit children of God the Father. All of. In other words, one of many. What does your Bible say? There is one. The only begotten Son. Furthermore, in the Gospel principles, the first spirit born to our heavenly parents was Jesus Christ. Notice that says multiples of sons. The doctrines and covenants say the difference between Jesus and the other offspring of Elohim, that's Father God, is one of degree and not kind. In other words, God has a whole bunch of kids. Your Bible says there is exactly one son. And so he can't be the same person if the Mormon teaching is God not only has one son, he's got many sons, and furthermore, one of those sons is none other than Lucifer. And they got together and they each came up with their own plan of salvation. And Elohim liked Jesus' plan better than Lucifer's plan. So when you come to that question of who do men say that I am, there's exactly one answer. And there's one answer we must give. And we've got to stop telling people, well, you know, if you just believe in any kind of Jesus, that's okay. Because there's one Jesus that's declared by your one Word of God. Now, the reason I did that is not to insult anybody. It's to say, that's how messed up the world's understanding of who Jesus is. Because you will have people go on national television and say, we all believe the same thing. No, we don't. I believe that God had exactly one son, not many. And I do not believe that the reason that we're here is so that we can procreate and create bodies so that all of Elohim's spirit children have a place to dwell. That is official Mormon doctrine. 
It's the reason why they have such large families, by the way. It becomes a duty to provide bodies for spirit children that the gods, plural, are making in heaven. You see how jacked up it can get? It's important you have the right Jesus. So when someone comes to you, stick to the real Jesus. And I want to conclude with what it says, that he is the firstborn there in verse 15. The firstborn, the word used there is prototokos. Prototokos is first in rank or preeminent one. It's not the first one born. In other words, it's not one of many. It's one of only one that's being talked about. Your Jesus is one of only one. He's not one of many. God doesn't have any other children. He's got one. The virgin-born son of Mary that came to this earth to be Emmanuel, God with us. And it's him that we believe in. As you think on these things, as you ponder these things, that's the reason, and I would conclude with this. You remember in John 8, Jesus is in this argument with the religious leadership, and he said something to them that flipped them out. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And it was from that point on that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders of the Jews sought to kill Jesus. And here's the reason why. He declared himself to be God. He said, I am. That's the exact same thing as saying Yahweh, by the way. The uncreated one. They understood that what Moses heard, when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me, you tell them, I am that I am sent you. Yahweh. There's only one Jesus. And we want to make sure that we worship the one Jesus because he's the one that's forgiven our sins. He's the one that cleanses from unrighteousness. He is the one that will take us out of darkness and into the light. He is the one that will see us home to our heavenly home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I was talking with Pastor Kevin before service. It's 4th of July. Amen? We're going to do something we don't do very often. You guys get to be the closing song. It's one you all know. You ready? God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains, to the prairies, to the oceans, white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home, God bless
Father, we ask that this morning. Would you start revival in our land? Would you make us grateful people? We thank you for your word and the power of it over darkness. We pray that you would speak that truth into our lives, that we would be living witnesses for your kingdom and that your kingdom would come. Lord, bless our land and would we as a people bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing fourth tomorrow. Go tell everybody about the real Jesus. Amen.